Hello, everybody. I'm your host, Jack Healy. And today on the Gotham Sports Machine, we're going to be talking some New York Mets baseball with Rich Catino, who is on ESPN Radio and has been writing for the New York Mets since 1986, which is really, really crazy. How are you doing today, Rich? Good. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful day. It is. It is a gorgeous day out. And summer's arriving, I think, pretty soon. Yeah. yeah. Now all we need is some uh, Mets victories, and it'll all be, uh, <laughs> all be <laughs> that good. Would, that would be nice. So the Mets have really gotten an injury bug in the last few weeks, and a lot of friends are starting to get upset. And But the thing for me is that they're not giving up. And it seems that they're still finding a way to win some games. And the pitching has been key. But I think if they just start to drive in more runs and stop leaving guys on base, that it won't matter as much who's on in the lineup. And it'll just matter that they're winning games. Absolutely. And it's not even just the hits with runners in scoring position. It's the well-placed outs when you have a runner on third and less than two outs. And they, they got one of those runs in last night. McCann had an RBI ground out, but they haven't done enough of that this year. And it, so, yeah, you want the RBI hits with the runner on second and two outs. But the Mets have not been great with runners on third and less than two outs. And that's where you don't need a hit, where sometimes a team will just play the infield back and the ground ball will score a run. So they have to improve in, in, in that area as well. Um, but I do think that what the Mets have shown us is – because a lot of teams in the NL East have had injury bugs. The Phillies have, you know, are minus JT Realmuto and Bryce Harper right now. The Braves lost Travis Darno for the season. They've had other minor injuries, and they've had injuries in both their bullpen and their rotation. So, but I think the reason the Mets are in first place is they've handled the injuries better than their other teams in the NL East have. And I think the young players that have come up have brought some enthusiasm. And, you know, they're young players, so they're going to they're gonna strike out a lot. They're going to not hit the curveball and fastball counts. But defensively, they've come to the forefront, and I think that's the reason the Mets are in the penthouse in the NL East right now. Yeah, for sure. It seems that pretty much every guy they've been putting in to replace and step up, they've been doing just as good of a job. And whether it's a guy like Villar or a guy like Peraza, like, they also got veterans that will step in and do the job, whether it's, I mean, hitting or pitching. It's been good to see, and finally, a lot of Mets fans wanted to make a move, and they finally went and got Billy McKinney, who hopefully can provide some outfield depth, and hopefully he can be a good hitter and fielder for them. But how do you – just really, how do you feel about this Billy McKinney deal? Well, I think he'll help. I think he, you know, I hope Mets fans aren't expecting, you know, a guy that's going to hit a lot of home runs or, you know, hit 350. He's going to get his share of RBIs, occasional long ball, but defensively he's going to help them a lot to have depth in that outfield. But I think the poster child for um, backup players performing well for the Mets has to be Tomas Nito. And Nito has worked very hard at making his offense better. Um, the last two off seasons, I've talked to him a few times during the off season, and he's really tried to, you know, command the strike zone better offensively. And it seems he's done that. And 
he's become a very aggressive hitter. And, you know, last night he hits the homer that gives the Mets the lead. Earlier in the week, he had a big home run in Atlanta. He had a whole bunch of hits in the Marlins series. So he's been coming to the forefront, and it really prompted the move of putting McCann at first base because you want to leave their, their two right-handed bats in the lineup, especially when you're facing a southpaw. But I think Nito has been the most pleasant surprise of all the guys that have um, come in and backed up the injured players. Yeah, watching him has definitely been a pleasure to see him start hitting again. And it does put pressure on McCann to start performing. And he has done a li- definitely better than the beginning of the year when he was miserable from the plate. But we need the Mets to keep putting pressure on these guys to, and maybe it'll step, they'll step up hitting and they'll aver- the averages will go up and in the hits come runs and runs become wins. The three guy bats that are going to have to long-term carry this team while the injured players are out, and there's a ton of injured players out, there's three bats in that lineup that are regular bats that are in the regular lineup that were in the regular lineup that was, you know, put together on opening day. And that's McCann, Dom Smith, and Francisco Lindor. And I think all three of them have had different kinds of issues at the plate. Lindor, I think, watching him, and I've, I've taped a lot of his at-bats so I can take a look at it. He's lunging at pitches outside the strike zone, and he's taking that low inside pitch for call strikes that he can drive. So, with him, I think it's pitch selection, and I've seen it become a little better for him in the last week or so. He's drawn more walks, which means he's laying off some of those strikeout pitches. But he needs to, you know, come to the forefront and start hitting. Dom Smith, the last couple of weeks, has done very well with runners in scoring position. But, you know, the thing that's troubling to me is last year, Dom Smith was an outstanding breaking ball hitter. And most of his hits have come via the fastball. He hasn't hit breaking pitches too much. He had a couple on the road trip where he drove in runs on breaking pitches, and those are the first time he did that all year. So I definitely see, you know, him and then McCann. I think, you know, obviously he needs to, you know, get some base hits too because what McNeil out and Conforto out and Alonzo out right now, those are really the only, only the three core bats left in this lineup, and they have to carry the torch so that the complementary players, the backup players, the VRs, and people like that don't only have to do enough to be complementary bats and not be core bats. And I think that's a very important dynamic that the Mets offense needs to employ in the next week or two. I feel like you touched on it with Francisco Lindor. And for me, it seems like, I mean, obviously the fans have been pissed at him for not performing, but it seems like now there's no better time to perform. You got all these guys hurt, and if the team can start rallying around him and he starts getting hot, it can really change the culture of the team right now. It could, and I will say defensively he's been very good. And I know there was a column written this week that the metrics showed Lindor's not as well, didn't play as well defensively. Lindor's made some real big plays defensively. He's got that tag play on a stolen base down to a tee. He convert, he's converted some key double plays for the Mets. So defensively, he's there. Now he's got to pick up with the, the, the bat offensively. And, you know, sometimes we make things too complex in baseball with all the analytics. And sometimes it's just a simple thing of pitch selection. And I, I remember talking to Michael Conforto about this when he was in a slump a year or two ago. 
and he came out of it. He said, I looked at my batting stance. I looked at my, you know, front shoulder. I looked at my, you know, follow through swing and all the same when I was hitting. But what the problem was, as I wasn't concentrating on hitting the pitches that I can hit and laying off the pitches I can't hit. And I think Lindor is in that kind of a mux right now. And once he comes out of it, I think his bat will come alive big time. Yeah, yeah, because it really is just a mental game. You could, yeah, you talk about analytics all day, but the pitcher doesn't have the, if the pitcher's a better approach coming into the at bat and the hitter's not ready, 10 times out of 10, he's going to win the at bat. So you're 100% right. If he's not looking for the right pitches, if he keeps swinging at those outside, just looking like he's fishing out there, it's not going to look good for him and it's not going to look good for the Mets. No, it's not. And I think, you know, Pete Alonzo, before he got hurt, hit on an important thing on one of the Zoom calls where he said, analytics are great. They provide a way for you to plan your game plan. But once you're in the batter's box in that cat and mouse game with the pitcher, you can't have all these metrics in your mind. It, it, the pitcher will win every time is what Alonzo said. And I totally agree with him. And I think, listen, analytics, I know, have become a big part of baseball building teams and, and building game plans. But I look at analytics as a tool. Is it a tool that's helpful? Absolutely. But we all have a woodshed in our backyards and there's a rake in our woodshed. It's a great tool, but we wouldn't use it to sweep up the living room rug. And I think sometimes analytics is overused and you have to get to that middle ground where you still trust your eyes. And yes, you have the analytics as background information, but your eyes and hunches as a manager need to tell you what to do as much as analytics do. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent because as much as numbers can tell you, I mean, it's not going to give you the whole story. It's more of giving you an idea of what you should expect. You shouldn't just rely completely on what numbers are telling you. It's never going to work like that. I call it paralysis by analysis and I think a lot of major league teams suffered from that. And the thing that made the Rays so great is, yes, they used analytics to put together game plans, but they also did it to the strengths of the players they had. They didn't change a player's whole way of playing the game based on analytics. They used analytics to enhance the way up the player plays a game. And that's why the Rays have had more success with it than any team in Major League Baseball. And they all, it also showed how it could backfire when you take, away, take out your starting pitcher in a, the biggest game. It's, he hasn't been the same. It's not even just like – I feel like he'll always – Blake Snell will be thinking about that moment and how he could have won the World Series for his team. And he, now he, like, he's not even on the same team anymore. And he's pitching way worse than he was last year. That's a tough thing to get out of your mind when you – you have that. I, I think I know Matt Harvey had injuries after his World Series, you know, last World Series appearance. But I think mentally he was hurt by that the following year. Uh, now, things in his own personal stuff caused a lot of things with the Mets. But I think it's a hard thing to just wash out of your mind when you have a moment like that in the postseason. And Snell's probably experiencing that this season. So. Looking for the future of the Mets now, we've talked we've talked about the injuries and we've talked about how they already have made a move. Do you see them making any more moves? Do you, do you have anyone on your radar you think they should go and get? 
Well, you know, Chris Bryant's the name everyone comes up with, but the problem now is you can't do any of these moves now because a lot of teams haven't decided on the analysis of the players they have or what, how they want to go forward. I think as we get into mid-June, late June, I think, as usual, the trades will – the rumors will come out. Do I think the Cubs want to trade Chris Bryant? I don't think they want to trade him, but I think because of payroll things going on in that organization, they may have to pay him and trade him. Now, the problem with it is that I wouldn't want the Mets to get a guy like Chris Bryant or another player in that oh, as a, as a, as a three-month rental. You'd want him to have somebody that, you know, can be on the team and, you know, contribute. One thing you got to remember, too, about next season is that, you know, the Mets are still paying Robinson Cano. And whether he gets rescinded after this second, you know, violation of the, you know, PEDS, who knows. But if he's on the payroll, the Mets likely won't be able to move him unless they take a player from another team and, and they want to lift that payroll out. But I think that's something that would have to occur in the offseason. I don't think that's something that can occur in, in season. I do think that the Mets have to look at how healthy their starting pitchers are and see if they want to add an arm at the deadline. You know, hopefully Taiwan Walker comes back in the next week or so. That's one big peg in there. The Syndergaard thing is something that has to concern you because although we don't know what that discomfort in his elbow was all about, it is at the very least is going to delay his rehab. Now, Seth Lugo is probably going to be back soon as well. And you wonder if the Mets, I know he had some problems being in the rotation last year. The Met bullpen is pretty deep as it stands now because of the way Familia's pitching and May and Loop and, of course, Edwin Diaz, who I think right now is the best closer in the whole sport of baseball. But um, so maybe Lugo in the bullpen doesn't make sense. Maybe you use him as an opener, and instead of him just pitching an inning or two, he pitches three or four innings. And maybe he's not really a starter. He's an opener. And then Lucchese maybe comes in and takes those bulk middle innings. But I think because of the Syndergaard news and because Taewon Walker's on the injured list right now, the Mets have to figure out what they want to do with Lugo. And that is going to predicate how his rehab goes. If he's going to be in the bullpen, he's going to continue rehabbing the way he is an inning or two. But if you want to lengthen him out, that's going to take some time. And they may want to, you know, take a look at that. There's also Carlos Carrasco, who doesn't look like he'll be anywhere near the Mets until maybe the end of July. So all those things indicate to me, yes, the Mets have offensive woes right now, but I have a feeling some of those players are closer to coming back than the pitchers. Like I think JD's close. I think Alonzo's close. We, we got to see what, where Nimmo is. And I think that what you can do once JD comes back is you can leave VR at third and maybe put J.D. in one of those corner spots in the outfield, maybe work out where you might put Dominic Smith, maybe put J.D. in right field. And I think J.D. Davis coming back will give them some flexibility because he can play a bunch of different positions. J.D. Can also, is also working out at first base. So until Pete Alonso comes back, maybe you put J.D. at first base. Um, I know McCann's been playing there now, but if McCann's got comes alive, maybe you return him to behind the plate. 
and put JD at first, or you put JD at third, or you could put JD in one of the corner spots in the outfield. I think JD Davis and Seth Lugo coming back, and I think they'll be the next two players to come back. I think it'll give them some flexibility, but they got to decide what they're going to do with Lugo. I think Walker and Alonzo will probably be the next players back, and then the rest of it is just really up in the air. And um, McNeil and Conforto looks like they're going to be out for a while. So you want to be able to put guys in their positions until they can, you know, get there, man the fort, so to speak, uh, which the Mets have done a pretty good job of that now. But with 17 players on the injured list, which is an ungodly amount of uh, players on the injured list, this season starting to remind me of the 2009 season a little bit when the Mets had injury after injury. I remember covering a road trip where they had an injury every day, which is what we were living through in the last 10 days with the Mets. Um, so they got depth in the outfield in the offseason, but all the depth is really gone. Almore is out. Pilar is out. So those things are, you know, hurting this team. But I am impressed with Louis Rojas because – he has his team in first place, despite all of this, all the cancellations they had due to weather and COVID and the coaching changes and the, the squirrel rat debate, altercation, all that stuff. And yet the Mets have not only the top spot in the NL East, they have the best home winning percentage in baseball and the best winning percentage in their division in baseball. And that to me is a uh, credit to Louis Rojas and his coaching staff. I mean, those are great stats right there. I mean, with all that struggling the Mets have done, they still have looked like a pretty good team. Like, if they can co- overcome all these struggles and injuries, they're going to be a playoff baseball team, and they're going to be fun to watch. And I just can't wait to see it. No question. I agree with you. And I think, you know, injuries and obstacles in a baseball season, they're tough to deal with. But when you get through them, it makes you as a group stronger. And I see this with that with this Met team. It's kind of made them stronger. Um, I think Jeremy Hefner's done a great job with the pitching staff as the pitching coach. I think Edwin Diaz, and I talked to Louie about this in the post-game Zoom last night. You know, Edwin Diaz had a terrible 2019, and he had come here as a prototypical top closer, all-star closer. Last year, I started to see him rebound a little bit his his strikeouts to innings pitch ratio but this year he's taking it to a different level and if you watch him his fastball has such great late movement on it and he's relying on the fastball more than the slider now which I think he needed to come to grips with just like Familia needed to come to grips with that his sinking fastball was his one pitch not his slider so both of those relief pitchers have done great things and I credit Ricky Bonus and and you know, Jeremy Hefner, a lot for that because they had a game plan and they've executed it and it's really made the bullpen, met bullpen deeper and clearly to me, the best bullpen in the National League East. Which is so huge for the Mets because we've talked about it in pretty much every Mets show we've done all year, me and my dad, because it's my one thing my dad is so, so big on is bullpen and especially the Mets bullpen because the amount of times we've watched a game, they'll be up 3 nothing, and then the bullpen will give up seven runs. It's just – it's so huge when you have a great bullpen and guys that can lock it down and get you out of a game when you have a lead. No question. We saw it last night. The Met bullpen had to get 12 outs. They got six outs from Castro, three from May, and three from Diaz. 
and 12 outs without giving up a base hit. Um, the other thing about Diaz, which is interesting, is in his save opportunities this year, and he's perfect in them, not only has he been perfect in the save opportunities, he hasn't given up a run in any of his save opportunities, which is an amazing stat. And I give the catcher, catchers Nito and McCann credit for that too because they've helped him ply through, you know, don't fall in love with the slider. On 0-2, you can throw the slider out of the strike zone, but that fastball, that, that high fastball he throws, I think he can throw past anyone in baseball. And he's proven that so far in the early part of the season. I mean, 100 high heats, one of the toughest pitches to hit. And you got it located, that's – forget about it. And, you know, I remember talking to Tom Seaver about this years ago when Tom was, you know, in the media doing games. And I learned so much about pitching talking to Tom Terrific. And one of the things he said to me is, Velocity is great and everything, but it's all about late movement. And because if you keep throwing a 100-mile-an-hour fastball that's straight as an arrow, eventually major league hitters are going to hit it. But if you're moving it around horizontally and vertically late when it's right on top of the hitter, that's what makes you a great pitcher. And we're seeing that with Edwin Diaz and obviously Jacob deGrom as well. We know Jacob deGrom throws hard, but it's the movement on his pitches. It's that 95 mile an hour slider that goes low and in that's impossible for a left-handed hitter to hit. Um, and I think the Met pitching staff also has done a good job for the most part, although they've had some missteps with this in not walking a lot of hitters and particularly the bullpen. And when the Met bullpen gets in trouble, it's usually when they walk the leadoff hitter. And we saw that in the Marlins series, but when they get off to a good start in the inning, you know, baseball is a game of firsts. It's get the first strike, get the first out, get the first base runner on, score the first run of the game. It's a game of firsts. And when you get behind in the count to your leadoff hitter, you're asking for trouble. And we saw that in the Met bullpen, you know, the last few years. But this year, I think they've done a really good job of, of adjusting their pitching form to that. And you do that by executing your pitches the same exact way every time. Al Leiters talk about this a lot. You know, making sure that the release point is the same, making sure that the delivery is the same, making sure the footwork is the same. And if you watch them at pitchers pretty much across the board, all of them have a consistency with that. The one that doesn't is Lucchese right now, and I think I saw a little better in his last start, but that curve needs to come out at the exact release point every time in order to be of an effective pitch. And I saw a little bit of that in his last start. And hopefully if he pitches again soon in the next few days, we'll see it again. Yeah. And well, that's been a great, another great episode of the Gotham sports machine. Thanks Rich for coming on. It's been a pleasure having you. And it was great having you too. And I want to just say something about your dad. Your dad is one of the most classy and um, both talented and morally correct people in our business. We need to clone him and make sure that, you know, there are a lot of people in the business like that. And I can just see him talking to you that you fall with those chromosomes as well. So it was a pleasure being on with you. Thanks. It's been, it's been great, Rich. Take care.